Pan's Labyrinth director. Oh, Guillermo del Toro. Yeah, that guy sucks. Um, that doesn't mean that he can't make a good movie. That would be a horrible task, making a movie. Terrible. That would be a terrible, terrible, terrible task. That would be a terrible task. Um... Yeah, what a horrendous task. Even just shooting one scene. I would give up day one if I had to direct a blockbuster movie. I would give up on day one. I'd be like, oh, they have to be wearing these kind of costumes. Costume designer. No, I mean, I would get, like, preoccupied that the costumes... Just the pressure that would be on you for making a blockbuster movie. You would have to trust your team... Wow, that would be difficult. I'm never going to direct a blockbuster movie just as a result of what I'm thinking about right now. Maybe I would have before I just was thinking about this, but now I know that you shouldn't. Now I know that you shouldn't direct a blockbuster movie, or at least I shouldn't. It's not for everyone. So good on Guillermo del Toro for finishing... Well, finishing a bunch of two-hour movies. The time and effort that goes into that. Anyway, um, just congratulations to Guillermo del Toro. He is a real star. He did win a like Best Director or Best Pictures for The Shape of Water, uh, which he shouldn't have won, but good on him for winning that movie, uh, winning the award. It's not easy to win a Best Picture Oscar, so I guess I I guess I should give him some credit uh, because I don't have any Best Picture Oscars. So Guillermo del Toro, you're a better director than I am. So who am I to shit on Guillermo del Toro? But it doesn't matter how it doesn't matter your accolades. No amount of accolades can make me like you. No amount of awards or acclaim from other people is going to determine whether or not it's going to change whether or not I like you. Uh, and really, what can you change about when somebody does or doesn't like something, either about you or about somebody else? Like when you want to change their opinion on a movie that you like, like you show somebody a movie, you're like, this movie's great. They think it's shitty. Um, what are you going to do to change their opinion? Like literally, literally nothing. The only way that their opinion changes is if they make that decision themselves or if, uh, enough occurrences happen in their life that they see things in a different light that they then view that movie as, a, as good. Like they have to change the changes to come within for somebody who doesn't like a movie that you show to that you like. Uh, and it's possible they just never like the movie or they're just, their personality is incompatible with the movie, you know, it's just like, I don't know what you change about whether somebody does or doesn't like something. And so I just make that point to say that, what are you going to, what are you going to do to force change onto people either from a liberal or conservative perspective? What are you going to do to really change what people like or don't like about the conservative or liberal parties? Not really anything. They, people just have to come to a conclusion about it at some point if if they change an opinion or not you know you're not gonna people just that's how people change they don't change because something is forced on them 
um, what I notice is, and here's what I notice, and what I notice is, and here is what I, what I've recognized. Um, this is what I'm cognizant of over the past number of months, which is that we are in American society, at least. It seems like we're starting to call everything art. We're calling art, we're giving art the name everything because everything is art is the reason that that's happening. And people are just sort of realizing that, oh, you can kind of attribute art to everything or call call that everything. I was just watching a video about the art of uh, the art of an NFL draft bust, which I've seen plenty of YouTube videos about NFL draft busts and that's the first one where they're like it's an art but they meant they made it a point since they titled it that to declare it to be art like it's an artistic endeavor to end up as an nfl draft bust like he was saying that in that realm of art ryan leaf is the greatest artist uh he's the greatest artist at being an nfl draft bust but it's like if you're calling him an artist for being that something that is objectively negative something something that objectively you don't want to become uh just points to what we're saying about art in lots of different areas which is that no matter what you are it's like you're you're an artist if you're the best at what you do you're an artist even if it means being the worst at something or something or we're calling everybody an artist uh so even for bad things you do but you see it in you see it in sports broadcasting a lot over the past year, especially over the last couple months. They're just calling it, they're calling it art because that's what it is, really. That's a way that you can describe it, but it's just in our it's in our vocabulary at this time to call it that uh, because we haven't really called it that before. Like we're calling a lot of NFL, we're calling a lot of football uh, head coaches or assistant coaches or quarterbacks that call plays we're calling them artists and we're calling like defensive schemes art and offensive schemes art or at least we're starting to and if you haven't recognized that to be the case it's kind of like i think that will be the case over the next couple years we're just gonna we're you're gonna hear it a lot that we call everything art um and yeah because it is art like nfl offensive and defensive schemes are artistic you have to you have to create better than your competitors you have to be a better artist than your competitors meaning that you have to like because you have to create the offensive schemes you have to create a scheme in order for it to be new enough that it'll give you a competitive advantage like you have to create you have to innovate within your original schemes to get an advantage because in the NFL specifically, like I think the I think football is the best example of it, how you could see that sports is art in that way. Because the NFL you have to change uh, you have to change your schemes really frequently and I think even you have to change them at a faster rate now than you would have 30 years ago for sure. Like 30 years ago they were more stuck in there. You could just get by with the same schemes year after year, but I mean, nowadays, like, it's probably just an exchange of information, flow of information thing. Everybody knows about everybody else. Like, it gets back to, it'll get back to the rest of the league if the Los Angeles Rams have a, um, 
have a like transcendent offensive scheme if uh, Sean McVay is a genius. You know, it's a it's the same thing we call head coaches in the NFL uh, uh, geniuses. We call them geniuses for having really genius offensive schemes. Like they're the best artists, they're the best creators of offensive schemes. They see things that other head coaches don't, and that's why they're better at it. But like they they'll. We call them a genius for engineering passing routes really well or uh, innovating on previous passing routes to create new ones that people weren't thinking of. Like if you get if you have an offense where wide receivers are getting wide open all the time in this day and age, it's just because they have an innovative offensive scheme wherein they are telling the wide receivers to run routes that are uncommon or that are uncommon that the defense isn't thinking about like and those routes are new ones that are creative uh they're so they're like sort of artistic they're telling the receivers to do a route that nobody is expecting but like that's kind of what you do if when you create art if it's good if it's good art now it's it's like you can artistically you can make things that people aren't expecting and then it, and it's still bad it can be bad art uh if it's too far off people's radar or if they're not able if it's not tangible to anybody then it is bad art so like let me think about if you're if you're a head coach you engineer a new offensive scheme or like you engineer new wide receiver routes um but they are routes that people aren't expecting yet they're not successful like can you be a bad art can you be a bad artist while creating things that are totally unexpected um like maybe not in the realm of football because you have the parameters of like the sidelines um it's just that if you football wise anytime you get a receiver to run a route that's entirely unexpected then he's wide open so like in that case unexpectedness is art or makes you a better artist as far as the nfl is concerned like as long as you're getting as long as you're doing things that the other team is not prepared for you will be successful unless they unless they accidentally unless they accidentally end up in the path of the they accidentally end up in the path of the receiver even though they weren't expecting it like there could still be defenders there so you would also have to account for in your artistic creation of an offensive scheme that not just that not just trying to make it unexpected the routes that they run but you also have to uh, you have to just account for where people are going to be in general even if they're not anticipating where the throw is going to be uh so you just have to know about layouts of defensive schemes overall so that you know where players are going to be too but um I mean, you just gotta, if in order for you to get the status of offensive genius or whatever, def, like you can be a defensive assistant coaching genius too. Like you can be one of the best defensive minds or one of the best offensive minds. Um, in order for you to get that status, you have to put your receivers in places that the defense isn't. So you just have to account for the defense on every level. But your your ability to transcendently account for the defense is what makes you transcendently successful. Is what gives you the most high-scoring offenses and the most wins and championships. Um, and 
really what we see with the NFL over the last few years is that the the emphasis that's been put on innovation in offenses has overrun any emphasis on innovation in defenses because offense offensive in innovation is crushing defensive innovation at this present time uh that doesn't mean that it can't cycle back around and that and that we're like not on the brink of a more defensive era that's possible um the reason for higher scores in the nfl is because of offensive assistant coaches and head coaches that are finally understanding the utility of the entire field like uh the potential that the entire field gives to you they use the entire field now meaning like short or long passes they understand the importance of short passes is is why uh is why offenses score so much more points in the nfl but that's because they uh, offensive assistant coaches are using the entire field but like they're using the entire field meaning that a receiver can be open anywhere in the field uh including short passes because what what they found is that you can you have a lot of success moving the ball just with eight yard passes on either first or second down or third down like seven yard passes are are really helpful like it's the seven or eight yard pass the emphasis that's been put on that that's really helped offenses in my opinion just as a ball moving measure um there's just a lot of short passes they use the entire field they use everybody that's potentially a receiver more like they use running backs more and uh just anybody that is that is eligible to be a receiver is used more in the nfl and college football that's why people are scoring more and as a result of that it's easier to use more of the field it's just offenses are using the entire field and um Therefore, a receiver could be wide open anywhere in the field, and that's impossible for a defense to account for. So defense will only slow the offensive uh, outpouring when they start constructing schemes that account for the entire field better. But, like, I mean, yeah, to some extent they were already using the entire field. Maybe it's just that offensive... Uh, Offenses understand the importance, or offense, offensive-minded coaches understand the importance of spreading it out a lot or throwing it in all kinds of different places so that they can prove that the ball can go anywhere. Like, they prove that the ball can go anywhere a lot better now than they did 30 years ago. Like, 30 years ago, they were probably recursively running some of the same schemes and routes that they've always been running, like... Uh, and therefore it was more patterned and definable to the defense. I think it's more undefinable to the defense now because offenses understand and utilize the importance of actually spreading the ball out or showing to the defense that the ball can end up anywhere on the field. Um, and that's how they that's how they aim to make their offenses. But I would say that that's, that's art, your ability to do that, and it's it's even artistic, the idea of like uh, finding every single place in the field, like that you use the entire field, is that you um, use the entire, like you're exploiting the entire potential of that you have as an offense when you use the entire field, rather than that if you were just fixated on kind of the line of scrimmage or like what happens around where the ball is like if you place the emphasis more on the whole field then that 
unlocks your potential to like exploit any area within the field like that's how you that's how you become the best offense is if you exploit the entire field because that's the best thing you have at your disposal that's probably the best weapon you have against the defense is that you have the entire field it's not uh like that takes pinpoint precision out of it more and more from whoever your quarterback is so it's like you're less reliant on the quarterback's talent uh the more that you're using the entire field like assuming that people are more open the more that you just exploit the whole field but yeah like that's artistic defenses also offer artistic schemes but you you hear it a lot in the broadcasting that they call it oh that this person's art, like he's one of the greatest artists, and that's annoying. It's annoying if it comes from the broadcasters because it's just chintzy, you know, uh, that they're trying to that they're trying to narrate it that way. It's uh, that they're trying to narrate them to be artists. That's that's just something that they're peppering in at this point. It's not like they're calling everybody an artist as the broadcasters of the games, but they're just uh, just for their own enhancement of conversation. Um, but it is you have to be really cre- you have to be creative is what they're realizing is 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 what people are realizing, and I would say that our use of the term a lot more just to describe everything is kind of us realizing that uh, it's hard to separate creativity from success. Like your success is dependent on your creativity, in my opinion. It's like part of the reason why I think that we'll continue to use art to describe everything a lot uh, is because it is in everything and you can't like success is dependent on your creativity if you're a fortune 500 company uh, any any company um, your success is dependent on your creativity like what you invent Apple invented in the iPhone uh, Microsoft invented not invented the PC but they uh, eh, the PC maybe they invented the personal computer. But I mean, they they automated the personal computer and they made it an assembly line. So it was like everybody could buy the PC. Um, but like what you invent, you invent something that's something that you create. And then depending on how many people want it is uh, is what shows whether or not it was good art or bad art, really. So art is like dependent on popularity whether or not it's good to some extent especially popular music because all the music that we consider to be really good is popular to some extent but like if it's not popular music it never reaches a level where everyone's like oh this is great music you know pink floyd is popular like pink floyd is popular it's the most popular uh like the dark side of the moon is behind the Eagles greatest hits album one of the best selling albums of all time if not the best like I don't know the exact order of the best selling albums of all time but I think the Eagles greatest hits is number one but in terms of popularity so people deem the Eagles to be a really great artist but anybody that makes popular music is a great artist because it's uh because it opens people's eyes to something 
at the given point or time that their song or their album is popular. Um, like it says something about the culture. If the culture finds your art popular, like that's why I'd say all all music really that became popular is uh, really artistic or like you would you would credit whoever created it as being an artist and and a good artist um like someone like Kanye West is probably heralded as the greatest artist of my generation yes probably I and I would agree with that but he's given that title because of his longevity for one but mostly because nowadays now in 2020 we can look back on Kanye, a career's worth of decisions from Kanye West and see the impact of them and see that like he made all these right decisions even when people doubted him like uh we can kind of see how good Kanye West is at being relevant and that he uh sees past what other people don't see in order to make the right decisions artistically uh, to make the music he did. And like we see that those decisions paid off and had a lot of influence and were ahead of their time. Um, and so we attribute him like they're ahead of their time enough that we at this point kind of trust anything that Kanye West would do. Uh, I know it's like less like that, that we would trust anything Kanye West would do now than maybe two years ago, but it's still, we still want to know what he's up to. And we still, even if we don't trust a decision he's making, we're like, well, we'll figure out in a few years why that decision was so good. Like the Christian album that he made is confusing to a lot of people. Uh, it's confusing to me. Uh, I wouldn't say it was a particularly good album. And a lot of people that are Kanye West fans, I don't think really like it, but like we might come to realize why he did that and we'll be like, oh, wow, you're still a genius, Kanye West. We just think that he's a genius anyway, but we like uh, you just say that he you just say that he is a genius. Um, I'd say that if you're looking at this time period from like 50 or 100 years from now, like 70 years from now, there will be songs that stood out as representative of the era. And probably there will be at least one or two that are Kanye West songs. Like Kanye West's music will probably be remembered the longest. Some of his songs like uh, I'm saying that 50 years from now, when we think about songs that were most representative of the era, Kanye West. Uh Kanye West will definitely be represented like uh, he's just representative of the era. That's how relevant he is. Like what songs would you say? Maybe Flashing Lights is kind of a timeless song that people always like. Um, like you'd have to find one that is uh, both long lasting and popular. Blood on the Leaves is really, like people really like that one. I don't know that it would be memorable 50 years from now because it's not popular enough gold digger stronger love lockdown would probably be potentially remembered 50 years from now but uh like love lockdown we just trust what Kanye West is doing because when he made his 808s and heartbreaks album that appealed to more a generation z and the media at the time knew nothing about the likes of a generation z or of a younger generation so they kind of killed him for making the 808s and heartbreak album because it 
featured auto-tune for the entire album and at that time we didn't trust auto-tune or like it and the general consensus is that like well you're kind of fake if you're just going to do an all auto-tune album so people kind of killed Kanye West for making it but it appealed so heavily to a younger generation as like we understood over the decade after he made it uh that you just you can't really question the decision to make the album at this point we're just like oh you're a genius for making that and uh but he just like has a career's worth of making decisions like that and so that's why we trust kanye west but i would say he's like the greatest artist um but i agree with that we call art everything because it is because it's like your success is dependent on your creativity it's almost everything to the extent that if you're just a like some of the celebrities that have been the most influential are they're kind of just a persona to some extent i mean as long as you're just considering their public perception person that they are kanye west or taylor swift or anybody or even even dave portnoy i would say is dave portnoy is like an artist you have to be an artist to create dave portnoy is the founder of barstool sports but um you have to be an artist first of all to understand the understand the market f understand the market of uh understand the market for something like sports for a sports audience or sports consumers that you would create a brand new company that appeals to that market um barstool sports it fills it appeals to people who watch sports because all their content is created and uh their content is created like through podcasting and whatever else but everybody that creates it all their talent at the company at barstool are like down-to-earth people that sound like just people on your couch talking to you about sports which is something that you didn't get with um ESPN when where ESPN was like uh, one of the first main innovators of trying to capture the sports consumer market uh, like they're one of the first ones to do that but Barstool takes it further and does a better job of capturing the audience of your your typical modern day sports consumer and to found an organiza organization like that is really difficult it's really difficult to found an organization in anywhere anywhere in America today or try to capture any market just because of the regulations that are put on you as a developing company but and you already have like ESPNs that control so much of the market it's difficult to do sports coverage it's difficult to create a company that does sports coverage and sports analysis when you already have uh, like Fox's NBC, CBS, ABC, or ABC owns ESPN, when you already have them owning all the market, owning all the events that appear on TV, like it's difficult to create a company that does like sports coverage exclusively. But Barstool capitalizes on different mediums of entertainment, such as podcasting, and like it's more heavily involved in radio um, and, and that kind of thing. Like the... They uh, and they appeal to a younger audience, and 
but you have to have a vision for things in order to create a company like that uh, in order for it to survive. Like he probably founded it 20 or so years ago. Um, but you kind of have to be an artist to create a company like that. And I'd say that Dave Portnoy, as a person, you would you would look at his persona and you would call that art. Like his persona, he's an artist, if you ask me, just the way that he carries things out, his braggadocious style, like uh, in your face, really prideful, like loyal to his company, but loyal to himself, uh, really proud of the company he created, like willing to stand by Barstool and stand by his company and uh, like go against other companies like ESPN in a competitive sense. Like he's, he's willing to call out and Barstool is willing to call out anybody, any other sports analyst or athlete for their wrong decisions. They're willing to be in your face to athletes and other analysts um, and call them out and uh, challenge them. Really. They're, they're more in your face and more aggressive and challenging of their competitors. And like, it speaks to the loyalty within the organization that they're able to uh, carry that out and carry it out genuinely enough that people buy it but like people consume it because they understand the the genuineness of the organization and that the organization is just uh is is more willing to go the extra mile to uh produce content that the consumer actually wants uh but you have to have a vision to create a company like that when uh when so much of the market is already controlled and like i would say dave portnoy is an artist comparable with other artists like and he he has this video where he interviews donald trump like that's how famous dave portnoy has gotten is that he's like able to interview donald trump but he appears on lots of he appears on lots of political he appears on political shows and stuff like that to argue political issues because he's that kind of, because he's an artist like that uh to the point that he delves into political discussion like philosophical discussion philosophical discussion because your your imposition of philosophical ideas is done through politics nowadays but philosophy is is art like you imposing your philosophy is you imposing your art to some extent you whatever your philosophy is it's your philosophy that would drive you to create a company like barstool is because you have the a philosophy that the sports consumer wants this kind of content rather than ESPN's version of the content and that uh, you can be successful innovating on ESPN's content. Like you have to be a creator or an artist and it goes hand in hand with what Dave, what you see Dave Portnoy doing nowadays that like he's a good enough artist that he is involved in his imposing of his philosophical beliefs or like political. He's uh, He gives political he has a political position too but like that's that speaks to what he's trying to do as an artist i would say that donald trump is an artist too like if you see dave portnoy interviewing donald trump that's a meeting of two artists yeah that's like a meeting of two artists that's the, the intersecting <laughs> that's the intersecting path of two artists at one point in time because they both have their own position on things they both have their own audience they both have uh they both have a movement behind them like if you consider donald trump's whole campaign 
uh, like him as president and his message, which is make America great again. It's really an, it's really an artistic push and it's good art when you see that it's successful, like that he's actually able to become president off of a message like that. It's like Donald Trump, you, that he's successful. It shows that he has a vision that he knows that people will buy into this set of messages, which are the messages he puts forward enough to elect him president. Like when he started running for president, he envisioned that people will buy into it as long as he positions himself a certain way, like artistically, as long as he has certain stands by certain philosophies and presents whatever his set of arguments is. Like he's uh He's an artist to do that. It's like an, it's an artistic movement. And really, that you vote for the president, it's kind of like voting for the better artist, um, whatever one has the better artistic message. Um, but, the, but the two candidates that you arrive at, they're indicative of the art of the time period, really. Um, and you hear a lot of conversation. If you talk to people about politics, just regular people, you often hear, um, you often hear about like, how did we arrive at these two candidates? Like, that's a common thing that people say. That's what people are wondering about or weirded out by. It's like, how, why do I have to vote between Trump and Hillary? Why do I have to vote between Trump and Biden? Um, because, uh, and it is like something we're wondering about. How does it arrive at that? Because we do vote those people to be the nominees. We voted Trump ahead of like 13 other candidates, and we did the same thing with Biden. So it shouldn't be that much of a mystery. I think I think the reason why you end up with two candidates, especially with this election and the past one, that sentiment is across the country that we don't like either of them or that we're just exhausted by the election and exhausted that we have to vote for these two people and we kind of consider both of them to be awful like a hillary trump or a trump biden we consider both of them to be awful um i think it's indicative of how we view the presidency nowadays like maybe we used to think it was more glamorous when uh john f kennedy was running against richard nixon but like we would have thought it was more glamorous because uh because we trusted in TV's narration of it, probably, for one. We trusted in the news's narration of the presidency. We trusted that the importance that the news put on it was actually important. I mean, we trusted the news's opinion more, and the news is always going to glamorize both candidates more through the years. Um, now, now, they don't glamorize Trump, but they do worship him. They do worship him enough to always be interested in everything he's doing, which is another mark of him being an artist. Is because like it's controversial what he does. Like there is this whole half of the country is really is totally upset by it, but it still works somehow. He still gets nominated, um, and really, you becoming president is you being the best artist in the time period that's you being the best artist for the time period and if you get elected that just shows that you are art that is best reflective of the time or best reflective of people's attitudes at the time like um and i would say that we arrive at candidates that we don't necessarily like one because we don't trust the media's glamorization of it so we view the entire presidency as this uh garbage fest a little bit more we're like oh i can't even deal with it all the media hype over it is nonsense it's exaggerated and nonsensical but like uh that's those are the candidates you get too exaggerated and nonsensical like a trump or a biden 
Um, but Biden, so I'm saying Biden is also an artist, uh, and he's successful, not for no reason. He's successful because he is reflective of art of the time period, like, uh, but kind of just, it's kind of a response to Trump, the Biden presidential nomination, presidential campaign. Um, it's a, it's kind of a direct response to Trump, wherein you have a lot of Democrats that literally think Trump makes no sense with anything he says. They hate the guy. They think he's an idiot and have no, they literally don't understand why people voted for him. And so therefore, um, Biden gets elected because partially because of Democrats that they're like, well, we're going to elect somebody that does the same thing as Trump. You want somebody who doesn't make any sense, sounds like an idiot all the time. Here's Joe Biden. So it's like, it's not a bad move to put Joe Biden up there because it's kind of like a Trump for the Democrats. It's just that it's just that the Democrats don't realize that like, because Trump is exaggerating all of his shit because he's just being because he's just exaggerating it kind of for artistic effect and then but the democrats go and elect somebody who actually doesn't who actually is totally incoherent you know uh but to them that's the same thing as trump and that's partially why biden got elected and so like incoherence is the name of the game really you either have biden who i would say is literally incoherent and but that's just a matter of opinion like and then you have Trump, who is exaggeratedly incoherent, you know, like, um, he's exaggerated. It's kind of more for appearance, whatever incoherence he puts out there. And if you're a liberal, you would, s if you're more liberal, you would say that the reverse of that is true, is that you would say that Trump is literally incoherent, that Biden is, uh, it's more just that his in incoherence isn't real or something. You would say that his incoherence isn't as real, but... Um, I think it just says something about the presidency a lot that you arrive at two candidates that the entire country doesn't necessarily like because uh, if, if you elect Biden president, I think you're really pushing the boundaries of revering the presidency at all, um, which is what the Democrats would say, exactly what they'd say about Trump is like, well, you push the limits of even revering the presidency because Trump is... Uh, so disrespected, like, uh, Democrats always think that Trump is disrespected by everybody on the world stage, you know, that's what they say, uh, which isn't, I wouldn't say it's true, like, he, he has a relatively successful foreign policy, does Trump, probably more successful than Obama, um, yeah, well, actually not really, but you can get into the politics of it if you want. I would say that Biden is also an artist and it's kind of, but older people like Biden and maybe part of it is their response to younger people where they say that younger people and especially like a generation Z just likes stupid shit and likes to make fun of people. Uh, maybe an older generation that's just a response of them to a younger generation like, oh, you like stupid shit? Here's Joe Biden. You like somebody. You like some like uh, somebody who embarrasses himself. Awkwardness. Somebody who, somebody who's a meme all the time. Like that's an older generation, <laughs> maybe angrily responding with like, "Do you want a guy who's totally a meme? Here you go. 
Joe Biden, nothing more than a meme. So yeah, Joe Biden is really reflective of the art of the period is possibly why he could win. He's reflective of now to some extent because he's a walking awkwardness. Um, so it's not, it's competing artists and you pick the whatever artist is better. So if Trump wins re-election, you would almost uh, like uh, that would make him maybe the greatest artist of my generation. He might unseat Kanye West as the greatest artist. If he wins re-election, you would maybe consider him the greatest artist of my generation. But that's why you see somebody like Kanye West, who so places the importance on being the most legendary artist, most remembered. Um, like that's what he places as important in his life is why he makes decisions that aren't necessarily good for him at the time. Uh, he's considering his long-term relevance and popularity. Someone like Kanye West recognizes the value, the popularity that the presidency has for people who aim to be popular or aim to be artistic on that level. And so that's why he makes uh, or at least makes rumblings of running for president is because he wants to be president. He wants to be the greatest artist. He doesn't want Trump to be a better artist than him. He doesn't want to be less remembered than anybody. So he's like, he's thinking about running for president because, uh, because of those reasons, because he wants to be the greatest artist. Um, because that's the level of fame that Trump would receive by winning reelection. Like if he, if he achieved that level of success, um, it kind of makes him his artistic message in life greater than anybody else's. Uh, just seeing as that he was already successful for being an artist in areas that weren't presidential, you know. Uh, but his name is Donald Trump, too, is a part of it, if you ask me. You wouldn't have to read anything into anybody's name, but something that's interesting about Donald Trump and his relationship to the media is that the media never uh, reads anything into that his name is, his last name is Trump and all that he does is Trump people at every level of his life, you know, all that he does is Trump people. So if he trumps Biden for this election, like he's able to make good on that one more time, what his name already is, that's that would make him a great artist because that's really the last thing he would need to achieve. Um, in order for you to just say, yeah, he was a successful person in life, is he has to win this re-election. Um, but yeah, all he does is Trump people, and that's his name. It doesn't really get any more artistic than that. Also, Kanye West, um, his last name is West, and all he does is represent Western values, like uh, Western Hemisphere as opposed to Eastern Hemisphere. All he does is represent every important identity group in the West, and he's representative of the West, totally, entirely. Uh, like that's really artistic too. Not that you have to. Not that you read that into anybody's name, or it has to be like that. It's just that your last name kind of means something. Like somebody like Einstein. It's not like Einstein says anything. It's not like that says anything about his artistic, what he put out artistically. But I would say Einstein is an artist too. It's just that. Um, I think what you'll see is that we'll start calling everything art just as a means of understanding that people who innovate or invent the most either inventively or in science or math or something, they're pretty much just artists. The people that you revere the most looking back in history, mathematically or scientifically, were just artists. Somebody like Einstein just made connections 
analogously between things in the universe that's just those are just creative um connections that he made he was a really creative person but like um to come up with the things that he did and uh that the world accepted it showed the popularity or how good his art was he's a great artist and uh so somebody like einstein it's not like his name dictates anything about his legacy um but you still remember something about his name like there's something to be said about that einstein it's sort of a joke nowadays sort of a joke to call somebody an einstein oh yeah oh einstein oh you remember that way to go einstein it's you kind of make you use that name to make fun of people because it is sort of a joke that i think it goes to show that modern day our idea of somebody like einstein or an einstein uh we want to poke fun at it for some reason we're like oh yeah way to go einstein like einstein's the smartest person ever like we're kind of joking about that like yeah einstein was so smart uh because but maybe we're making fun of somebody like einstein not because it's einstein's fault but because the scientific community makes you revere somebody like him and sentiment will then respond with oh yeah oh yeah he's the greatest ever yeah way to go einstein like that's how that's what we use his name for nowadays because we're partially because we're forced to revere him rather than recognize modern day people anybody modern day to come up with anything as good as einstein we're supposed to be like einstein's the greatest ever but like math does the same thing with their heroes they treat mathematics treats their heroes the same way that america treats the founding fathers basically the same thing they act as if america doesn't exist like they act as if math can't evolve past the opinions of this handful of the original architects of mathematics like they treat they treat them the same way they treat the founding fathers does mathematics towards their famous old ass mathematicians um and they say that those old mathematicians that you remember are are the greatest artists and you they basically act like you can't produce mathematical art nowadays does the mathematical community or the scientific community i'd say is is part of the reason why you see einstein as a name being used as a joke um yeah, so you see someone like Dave Portnoy even getting involved with politics to some extent because he's probably more concerned with being a legendary artist, somebody as braggadocious as he is. And sometimes you see sometimes you see uh two personas cross paths and like that is a uh, um those are two people competing to have a more legendary status and that's what is so great about the world is the people that hold to that they are artists enough is like the people that are egotistical enough to put the to be okay with putting themselves on a pedestal enough to say that they're the greatest and those people have to deal with that responsibility by taking on the challenges of their competitors of other people that are egotistical enough to say that they're the greatest artists like someone like trump is willing to take the responsibility that comes with him saying he's the greatest artist which is everybody uh, everybody shits on him you know uh first of all but they all shit on him because because you have a lot of other artists that want to present the greatest artistic message because you it has to do with survival really like if you consider cnn to be art which i would say that you 
could. CNN is art. They present a certain narrative of the world that's specific to them. They have a position in the world that they're like, the world carries out this way. You should be afraid of these things. Uh, life is like this is what CNN says, that whatever they're programming says is what their position is and it's artistic because it's specific it's a narration it's a vision for the world that they have that nobody else has and they survive based on the relevancy of their vision as long as people revere their vision they get to they get to say that they're artists that are relevant in the world and so cnn as a as an entity competes against Donald Trump as an entity where they're both artists and uh, really Donald Trump wins that battle. That's a, that's a competition between two artists and Donald Trump has been more successful at defeating the art of a CNN because, because he defines them better than they define him. CNN isn't smart enough to like CNN doesn't try to understand their enemy enough as part of it. All that they do is make a lot of noise to raise a lot of ruckus and riots among people to just hate him. They don't really make an attempt to understand him. And that's why they fail. Like Donald Trump is better at defining CNN than CNN is at defining Donald Trump. And uh, yeah, so I'd say like your whatever undefinability is what decides you how great you are as an artist is what it's it's how undefinable you are it's how much other artists can't define you but you you defining other people is what makes you move up the ranks and being an artist is what you what gets you ahead of people if you are able to more uh, more be authoritative over somebody else than they are over you is your defining your ability to define them and like Donald Trump defines a CNN and defines a CNN publicly by saying, oh, your narrations are bullshit in these areas or you just attack. Like he defines CNN by saying that CNN always consistently attacks this way or like they always attack him or they always attack this. Like he points out things that they do. But um, as but he has to do that to his competitors in order to be a relevant artist in the world but every artist does that like it's the same it's the same thing when kanye west crosses paths with taylor swift at the 2009 i think 2009 vmas uh that's the crossing of paths of two of the greatest artists in my generation uh you can argue that taylor swift isn't isn't an artist but like she definitely is and she's one of the most successful most influential artists um of my generation because because of the success she had with the message she messages she put forward you know uh her making a song like love story that is uh i mean and you can argue to what extent she wrote her music I, she wrote more of her music earlier on than she did in later years like because she got more popular and then had more resources available to her in the music industry to get all the best writers and producers so that she could construct a perfectly popular album like she gave herself more and more over to the music industry as time went on as many artists do um, but we would revere Kanye West to be a greater artist than Taylor Swift because he partially because he didn't give himself over to the music industry at all but like that's why he doesn't give the authority he doesn't give his responsibility for creativity over to a music industry is why we revere him to be a greater artist than taylor swift overall it's because he doesn't give his responsibility for creativity away to any 
to other people. He trusts in his own creativity and what you see in his art is more directly his creativity rather than that it's influenced by other people that he's given it over to. Like uh, Taylor Swift used to write more of her music, so we still revere her to be a we revere her to be a great artist, but like, um, yeah, I'd say, I'd say if you start just getting all the best writers and producers so that you have the best sound, like, uh, from, a f from formulaic, as far as formulaic popularity is concerned, um, then you are giving away some of your creativity, but like Taylor Swift, Kanye West meeting at the VMAs, that's two huge art personas of the time period crossing paths. And it's like at the time, Taylor Swift kind of won that battle because she was able, and they both reacted to it the way that they would react to it as their artistic personas, whether or not that's like exactly who that who they are. But somebody like Kanye West is more concerned about his, his public persona who he is as an artist is kind of what you have to do to make a to be a great artist uh maybe it speaks to a certain level of vapidness vapidity in yourself as a whole that you just try to relate yourself to lots of different groups of people like you want to be an identity that appeals to lots of different identities what makes you more popular and so like maybe you within yourself it's harder to say that you're anything since you are just like so you're representing lots of different identities. It's hard to say that you're any one identity. Like maybe a great artist is more concerned with just being lots of people or representing or whatever their public persona is. Um, they both reacted to that event the way that they would as their artistic personas. Like Taylor Swift, all that she had to do in reaction to that was be like uh, really surprised and innocent. Like, oh, I can't believe I was just trying to accept my award, but just like just really like there's nothing I did wrong obviously because there was nothing she did wrong it was really easy for her to react as herself to that I think it played right into her hands at the time and people were totally on Taylor Swift's side um so it's like she kind of won that intersecting of those two artists at the time but like Kanye West wins long term because probably because he doesn't give his creativity away to a music industry but but more importantly Kanye West is able to sustain a loss in a battle like that because um because his talent is already transcendent enough like he's already because he's willing to accept that he's he's just gonna own where the media calls him an asshole and a jerk and whatever he's able to own that and he put it in Runaway, one of his songs on the next album that he produced after that event. And Runaway is one of his most popular long-term songs, like most memorable songs. It's his ability to own an event like that. Like that event isn't going to define Kanye West. He's already, he, he's going to rise above it just because he's already talented enough that it's not going to like affect him detrimentally. And like long-term Kanye West kind of wins the battle, especially because he especially because both of them created music as best we can discern that uh, spoke to the event like Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift made music like she wants a bunch of revenge on Kanye West, sort of, and Kanye West made music that directly called out Taylor Swift. And like, 
Kanye West eventually wins the battle because he made a song that was like, oh, I made you famous because of that event. And we're like, oh, we're like, um, we like the idea of Kanye West making her like uh, that he's owning it in that way. And uh, that he's able to put out a statement like that and we that we're not like, oh, you're arrogant for saying that. Um, we generally agree with it, sort of. Like, we still accept Kanye West after he makes statements like, well, I made you famous by doing that. So, uh, like, long-term, Kanye West wins over Taylor Swift. But that doesn't make Taylor Swift not, like, she's an influential artist. She, Her ability to be popular um, is greater than most people's ability to be popular. But, it, it like, uh, whatever she puts out artistically is something that people like. Um, just based on who her artistic persona and um, yeah Kanye West but you you just see these meetings of artistic people who are publicly making a stand for who they are like people who are publicly braggadocious and prideful you have to um, like somebody like Dave Portnoy, that's why I'd say Dave Portnoy is an artist is because of his level of braggadociousness. You don't, you don't feel as if that's ever going to go away. And you also see him and think that that's a guy that's just going to keep making the right decisions going into the future. Uh, recently Colin Coward, like Colin Coward is an artist for the same reasons. And lots of things he says are controversial. There's lots of people that hate Colin Coward. There's lots of people that, like him but he sticks around is the important part of it even if even if he makes content that or it has takes on sports Colin Coward's a sports analyst on Fox even if he has takes that people don't like what's important is that he sticks around but his ability to stick around is reflective of his ability as an artist and recently he um recently he had a take about Carson Wentz that Carson Wentz was wearing his hat backwards at a at a um, after the game press conference where the Eagles lost. Carson Wentz the starting quarterback for the Eagles. The Eagles lost this game badly. They didn't look good. Carson Wentz appeared at the press conference uh, afterward to answer questions, but he had a backwards hat on. And Colin Coward is like fifty to fifty. He's maybe fifty years old. Um, and his take was that Carson Wentz looks slovenly like he uh, shouldn't appear at a press conference with a backwards hat on because that's not respectful and that's not the place and time to wear a backwards hat uh, because because he's the face of the franchise as their starting quarterback. It doesn't, And after they lost, it just makes him look like an idiot, sort of, was Con Coward's take, which I actually happen to agree with. I think that I think that he shouldn't wear a backwards hat. Like, you do kind of look like an idiot after a loss. It's not like you get to wear a backwards hat everywhere. I agree with Con Coward, but apparently just about everybody in the sports world does not agree with that. And they totally roasted him on Twitter. There's lots of things that Con Coward says that everyone roasts him on Twitter for, but uh, like a lot of a lot of the barstool sports camp roasted con coward for that take probably just calling him an old guy uh who like because that's what you could say about somebody who's 50 years old who's having that take on what carson once did you're like oh you're just a boomer um who doesn't 
who was mad about kids being disrespectful or something. So like Barstool roasted him and uh, probably Dave Portnoy did. But then Colin Coward had a response to that in a segment on his show where he was where he stood by what he said about you you look dumb when you wear a backwards hat at your press conference but he called out barstool for making fun of him and roasting him on twitter he called out dave portnoy and uh whatever you think about if you think colin coward was right or wrong what that just shows why colin coward continues to be relevant not that he'll be able to maintain it forever but he's able to be relevant because he's able to define who is calling him out like he's able to define the source of the ridicule which in this case a lot of the source of it is from barstool where the source of barstool is ultimately dave portnoy like you could uh if you were not as good an artist like if you didn't have the ability as good of recognition ability as that you would maybe look and say that it's barstool you might pin it on uh, PFT or Big Cat or just somebody in Barstool, it's important that you're able to recognize that really Dave Portnoy is the reason for all of Barstool. Like he he is a greater persona than Big Cat or PFT or any of the talent within the organization and that it ultimately comes from him. So like it's important for Colin Coward at, as an artist to recognize, be able to define his competitors to some extent. Like that's why he's able to stay relevant is because he's like, he's like, Oh, it's Dave Portnoy's coming after me. And then he said some things about Dave Portnoy's artistic position that are like somewhat definitive of it as a way, as a means of defending himself, you know, but that's how you have, that's how you stay relevant as an artist. Whether or not, like Colin Coward's an idiot, really. He's an idiot, but you still kind of watch, you still kind of listen to see what he's talking about. Um, it's really Colin Coward is, is an idiot in a lot of ways, but you still listen. I mean, you still want to see, you want to see him fail too. You want to see him fail, and he will. Yeah, whatever. Like, but that's just the crossing of the paths of two art important artists of the day. That's like of two personas, a Colin Coward and a Dave Portnoy, and they have to they have to be able to define each other in order to continue to exist because if you can't define it, then you then you get defined, you know, by somebody else. If somebody else is I, I don't know, if that's really how it works. It's just that people's stars rise and then they fall i don't know exactly what causes the fall of somebody's celebrity or their star but um i think it has something to do with the world being able to just say what you are so they're not interested in it anymore to some extent like the world being able to define you is partially what decreases your star in the world um and there are some people that are concerned with that, with increasing their star or like, and there are some people that are zero interested in it that only, like there are people that are zero interested in it that just exist to detract from the people that are narcissi narcissistic enough to present themselves as a artist that they are, that they are proud, proudly standing by, you know? Um, you can be an art kind of person or you can be uh, not art kind of person who's not concerned with that 
and maybe it's like maybe it's kind of like a half and half divide um and i wouldn't say it was a liberal conservative or anything i would sometimes i try to make every half and half divide like which one is liberal which one conservative i don't know that you'd be able to do that with people that are that aim to be artsy and people that don't um hmm let me see is there something else i wanted to say about it i covered all the important it's just you have the important artists of the day have the important artists of the day and you what generates entertainment for you in a lot of respects or like yeah ultimately like you consider a director of movies i um i think it's really the case that we move as a society we evolve towards trying to pinpoint the source of of all the artistic content that's being generated like i feel as though or maybe that's just something you do as you get older you get more interested in who's directing all the movies or you don't really pay attention to who's directing all of it but i think society is just doing that overall by pointing out that the music industry um and their ability to create successful top 40 music is just using a formula i think we point that out as a society more uh meaning that we get to the root of the source of the entertainment you know we, which is the writers of and producers in the music industry are the source of the entertainment and most of them aren't famous enough that you give them a name but we're starting to recognize the names of people who are behind like every top 40 song over from the years 2000 to 2010 we're getting uh, because of the distribution of information, really, f the flow of it, you uh, can you get closer to figuring out who's actually the creator of these things. And you do the same thing with football. Like we football consumers, people who watch sports, um, move more and more towards identifying all the defensive assistant coaches and, and offensive assistant coaches and head coaches. And we respect them to be the generators of the success of the franchise or of the college football team like we we attribute more success to head coaches now especially assistant coaches now than we used to like 15 years ago and we like 20 years ago we definitely put the emphasis more on the players but we've just moved to try to realize who the creator of things are uh, i think we do the same thing to some extent with directors uh is that we we move to try to identify the director and then see all the movies that they've created so you can see more of a pattern in the art like as long as you're trying to understand the art because the reason that you like a movie is because there's is because it says something new to you um and presents an argument to you that you like enough to like maybe even watch it again and if it's a movie you like a lot you watch it a lot just so you can uh try to figure it out but that's what you do with the office is it's kind of just a artistic message that was new enough that like people can't get enough of it and they keep watching it over and over again i think that speaks to that i don't know speaks to the artistic value of it certainly that people watch it so much um we evolved to try to identify the source of the art uh, so as to define the art better you know we're trying to define it better we're trying to define what's actually going on be behind the scenes or poke holes in people's narrations 
of life and their visions of things. Uh, because if you really like somebody's art, you you really like their vision on life uh, enough to align yourself with it or be a fan of it. Uh, that's because you like what their vision on life is saying. But if you grow to poke holes in their vision or say that like, oh, what their vision is, is just this. Like if you grow to define it, you will not be as interested in it. So it's like you grow in and out of fandoms of different people's art. But, uh, but watch out for people calling everything art. It might get kind of annoying. But if it, if it is annoying, it's because like I th we're we'll start to call it all that for a reason because it is kind of art. Your success as a Fortune 500 company is on your ability to be more creative. You know, to like uh, in order to survive in the world as a company or a corporation, you have to you have to continue to be creative because. The way that you exist in the present moment is uh, being exploited by people and being exploited by your competitors. And your competitors are constantly innovating. Competition makes you better, makes you more innovative, uh, presents presents more uh, inventions and and new things, gives more change to the world. And it's partially why America has the greatest gross domestic product it's because they invent the most things, they create the most things, they're the most competitive, and the, it's because of the competitive environment of America forces all the companies to continually innovate, uh, which generates a lot of change, which is why America has the highest gross domestic product, because uh, it's a competitive environment. Um, so watch out for art. It's going to come and get you. It's really in your face and it's challenging you don't be defeated by other people's art be your best art um and I, I can't make it any more clear than that um yes and yes end